Turn to Luke chapter 15, please. Luke chapter 15. And if you're a guest here today, we've been in Luke chapter 15 for the last handful of weeks and just walking through this entire chapter because this entire chapter is uh, a parable that Jesus gives. And a parable is an illustration. It's a story. It's an illustration of a truth. And Jesus is illustrating a particular truth to those that he's talking to. And the entire chapter uh, is broken down into three uh, separate stories, but all with the same thought or principle behind it. And so it's really one parable that Jesus gives. And so we're going to turn our attention again today to this chapter. And contained inside of this chapter is, is probably one of the most famous parables uh, that the world knows and, and that Jesus gave. And it was the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you have heard of it. If you've been with us, of course, we've been uh, breaking this down uh, very particularly. And we've talked about the prodigal himself. We talked about the father yet last uh, Sunday and how the father represents the Lord. And today we're going to consider the last section of it. We're going to talk about the elder brother. And the elder brother is, is one that doesn't get talked about very, very often. Uh, whenever this passage is preached or this parable is considered, typically it's, it's focused on the prodigal himself. And that's important because it illustrates for us that Jesus Christ uh, came to seek and to save that which was lost. And there are those who are out in a far country and <clears throat> they, need to, they need to come to a place of repentance and turn to God, certainly. And then we talked about the father. The father sometimes is talked about, but not as often as the prodigal himself and how the father represents the Lord and, and how God's heart is towards people. And we can't do anything to save ourselves. We can't earn and work for uh, the favor of God. And this father represented the heart of God towards sinful people who just come with a repentant heart. And so we have considered all of these, but the younger brother, or the older brother, like I said, is one that's not talked about very often. And, and so we're going to consider him today. And let's read verses 25 to verse 32. We'll read the whole section. Uh, actually, let's go, let's go back here and start in verse 11 and read this whole section again, okay? The Bible says, And a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him 
and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he, answering, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, and hast killed for, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Now, as I was saying, this parable is intended to teach the truth that God loves sinners. And He loves the lost people enough to go after them in their lost condition. And that's evidenced by the three illustrations in this chapter. He also loves the self-righteous sinner enough to tell them about their condition, which is actually why he told this parable to begin with. And as I said, very often this chapter, when it's preached, you hear about the lost sheep, you hear about the lost coin, you hear about the prodigal son, but not as often will you hear anything about this elder brother. And we might ask the question, why? Why don't we hear much about this elder brother? I think the focus so often when this is preached is on this emotional reunion that happens between the father and the prodigal. <coughs> and really the main issue and the main reason for why this parable is given is completely left out. Again, the main, one of the main reasons is, of course, Jesus illustrating God's heart towards sinful people. But the main section is often avoided. Um, and it's possible that the main section is avoided because it hits really, really close to home. And I was reading, and I came across this illustration regarding this passage of Scripture. And the illustration was this, that there were some preachers who were discussing the Bible one day when the subject of this older brother and his identity came up. They were trying to figure out who this older brother actually was. And one older preacher spoke up to the rest of the group and he said, I know who he is. In fact, I saw him just today. And the other preachers were eager to hear that response and they said, who is he? Tell us. And the wise old preacher simply said, he's me. Well, that is sort of true. 
in a lot of cases. Verse 11 reminds us that this man had two sons. And it reminds us that not only were there two sons, but both of these sons were lost. And that's the thing that we need to remember here. And so as the Lord Jesus reaches the end of this parable, he's talking about lost things. And he's actually dealing with the attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees towards lost sinners and not realizing their own lost condition before the Lord themselves. In verses 1 and 2, this kind of gives us the whole setting. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And then the Bible says, And he spoke this parable. And so Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees and the scribes here, who were the religious leaders of the day, who were those who were righteous in themselves, who were those who thought that because they tried to keep the law of God, that somehow they found favor with God. And the elder brother in this text pictures a person who is involved in the things of God, Maybe somebody who claims to be a Christian, somebody who goes to church, somebody who's involved in religious things, and they're involved in religious things, but they don't actually have a real relationship with God. He's in the Father's house, but he's still lost. He's in a far country, but he's in a far country in his heart. And so as it turns out, the older brother is the one who actually embodies the parable's main lesson here. The younger brother, he was lost in a far country. He was one who went out and lived a life of pleasure. He didn't care about the father. And he represented somebody who is out there in the world who doesn't want the rule of God in their life. But the older brother was actually lost in his father's house. The older brother was a person who was a moralist, a person who thought he did right, but as it turns out, he lived only to maintain appearances and didn't even have the right heart himself. The older brother represented the religious Pharisee to whom Jesus was speaking. And so that's where I want us to know, or to go this, this morning, uh, when we break this passage down and we look at some, some particular details. When we talk about the older brother, we are talking about the main reason why Jesus gave this parable in the first place. Let's pray and then we'll ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us today with this passage. And Lord, as we expound uh, and open it up, as we consider its truth, Lord, I pray that you would take the Word of God and apply it in every heart today. And, and Lord, for, the, for those who would be here today who are lost, maybe they're religious people, Maybe there are people to claim, who claim some sort of Christianity, but their heart is far from God. Maybe they're genuinely sincere, but sincerely wrong in their approach. Maybe there's some who feel as though if they go to church and they do all the right things and they live a moral life, that somehow that's going to merit favor with God. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the truth that Jesus is bringing out here regarding the heart of the Pharisees toward God themselves. And Lord, would you use it in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.
First of all, I want you to notice this older brother's respectability. In verse 25 of the passage, it says, Now his older son, or elder son, was in the field. It starts out by telling us something about him at first. He says he was out in the field. And it tells us that as the older brother, number one, he was a leader. Um, as the older brother in that culture, he was actually entitled to two-thirds of his father's possession. We talked about this with the younger brother, the prodigal, before. How he was, as a younger son, he was only entitled to one-third of his father's possession. And when he came and demanded of his father, give me the portion of goods that's mine. I want my inheritance. Essentially, what he was saying to the father was, I wish that you were dead. I don't want you to have any control in my life. Give me what is mine, what I'm owed, and, and I want to live my life the way I want to. Because the son wouldn't receive his inheritance until the father had passed on. And so it's very disrespectful for him to come to his father and demand uh, something from him and, and basically saying, I wish that you were gone and dead. The older brother, according to Old Testament law, and you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 21 if you want to, as the older brother, he was entitled to two-thirds of his father's possession. Since his younger brother had already received his part of the inheritance, according to verse 12, everything else belonged to the brother, the older brother. When his father dies, not only will he receive his father's possessions, but he's also going to become the legal and religious head of that family. Much has been given to this young man already, and more is on the way the point that, that, is, that needs to be made here is that this young man was in a very privileged position to begin with. Now remember, this is illustrating the Pharisees, the Jews. Okay, Not only was he a leader, but he was clearly a laborer. The Bible says when we first meet him that he's out in the fields. He was busy working. He was even doing his father's business, while his younger brother had been off in the far country living it up and wasting his substance in riotous living, this young man stayed home. He worked in his father's house. He's been working hard, in fact, and it seems that all is well in this family on the surface, that there's this good fellowship between him and his father because he's at home and he's working in his father's fields. But there's an application here. Because this elder brother is a picture of the religious Jew. They were in a place of privilege as God's chosen people. They had God's law given to them first. And it appeared, outwardly at least, that they were walking in the law. It appeared that they were trying to keep the law they looked good on the outside. They looked good to others, but there was a real problem going on in their heart. The problem was hidden from human view, but God saw it. They were religious in their appearance, but they were lost in the heart. And that's what Jesus is illustrating. They came and they said, this man receiveth or eateth with publicans and sinners. We are so much better than them. That's the attitude of their heart. They murmured against Jesus. 
But you know, the same thing could be true today and even could be true of some here. Did you know you can be good, quote, good, in your morals? You can be active in a church. You can be religious, but you can still be lost. Just going to church, just being involved in religious things, even saying, I'm a Christian or I love God, does not make you or give you a relationship with God. In fact, the Bible tells us there are people who will say that very thing one day when we stand before God and Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Go look at it with me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, please. In Matthew 7 and verse 21, that's where I want your attention to go. And you follow along with me as I read this. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Jesus says these words. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So you understand what Jesus is saying? Words are cheap. And he says, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not what we profess. It's not words of our mouth that make the difference. He says, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And then he says this in verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, that day, what does that refer to? What does that mean? The day that you stand before God, that's the day when every man gives an account of his life, Many are going to say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name have done many wonderful works. They present to God all of the religious things that they ever did in their life. But notice what he says. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. You didn't have a relationship with me. All of your religious works and deeds didn't give you a relationship with me. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You're still in your sin. And then Jesus says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, Jesus says, make the application. Listen to what I'm saying here. And what Jesus is illustrating is a lot of what happens in our culture and in our world. There's a lot. You know, Christianity is really cultural in a lot of ways. Like this, people think that what makes me a Christian is that I claim the name of Jesus and I go to a church whenever I can that, 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 that says they worship Jesus. And I do all of these things. And, and this, is, this is how I please God. That's what the Pharisees did. We keep the law. We do this and we do this and we do this. And they couldn't actually keep it themselves, but they told other people to do it. And somehow this is what earns me favor with God. And in reality, people operate with this idea in mind that someday I'm going to die and someday I'm going to stand before God. And when I do, I'm going to offer up to God all of these religious things. Well, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? 
Look at all these wonderful things we did in your name. And it's like this divine scale here. And see, Lord, all of these good things that I'm doing. See, don't you see them? Surely that just outweighs all of the bad things that I've done. That's the reason you should let me in heaven. You understand? And then Jesus says, No. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, because I never knew you. All of your religious efforts will gain a person nothing in favor with God. You might think, or one might think, that they are right with God. And in my heart, I feel like I am. I feel like I'm good with God. I've heard people say, in a probably disrespectful way, maybe they don't necessarily mean it, but it sure is a nonchalant kind of a heart attitude that doesn't have an awe and a reverence and a fear for God. But I've heard people say like, oh yeah, me and the big guy, we've, we've got a vibe. In other words, what they're saying is, in my heart, I feel like I'm good with God. Question. Are we the ones who get to decide whether or not we're right with God? Is it on my terms? Does God come down to my level? And if I say and I feel like that I'm right with God and good with God, that God should somehow accept that? That God should somehow take that and say, you know what, you're right. I was wrong in all of that. You are good. Is that the standard by which God operates? No, it's not. God is the judge. God is holy. He's God. It is His standard according to His word. And the responsibility is ours to align with Him and His will to agree with Him, not to get God to agree with me. And the reason that I can't get God to agree with me is because my heart is wicked. My heart is deceitful. And people say, oh, I feel like I'm right with God. I feel like me and God are on good terms and I'm doing that which is pleasing to God. But you know what? You cannot trust what you feel in your heart. Because the heart is wicked. And the heart is deceitful. And only God knows exactly what is in the heart. Go to Jeremiah in the Old Testament and just look at this verse with me. Jeremiah chapter 17. I'll give you a second to get there. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, this tells us exactly what our heart is. Now we can feel all day long but that doesn't, isn't the standard of what is true. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Now what does that mean? I think it's pretty simple. You know what it means. There is nothing in this world that is more deceitful than the human heart. Okay? Alright, so we got that foundation. It also says that the heart is desperately wicked. You see that? 
So your heart is deceitful above all things, and the heart is desperately wicked. You know what? You don't have a good heart. I don't have a good heart. Well, I'm a good person. I'm nice to people. I'm moral. I don't do terrible things. I'm a pretty good person. No, the Bible says your heart is wicked. Your heart is deceitful. It's lying to you. But then it says, who can know it? You know what that means? You can't possibly know the depth of wickedness that your heart will go to. And you can't possibly even know how deceitful your own heart is to you. But then look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Oh, you know what? That means that God sees and God knows and he is going to give according to the fruit of his doings. God's keeping track. That should be very sobering. So all of the things that you do or a person does on the outward to, to appear to be good and to, to appear to be right and to, to appear to be righteous and to appear to be kind and so on. See, that's But all the things that you do in secret that nobody knows about, that you don't want anybody to know about, that is the heart. And that's the same thing that God sees to give according to every man the fruit of his doings. So people can say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these things in your name? And God says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I know the real heart. Is everybody, everybody here? Everybody understand? I'm not trying to condemn anybody because I'm in the same boat. In my natural condition, I'm simply saying that religion does not equal salvation. Religion does not equal a relationship with God. Church membership doesn't equal conversion. Because you're a member of a church doesn't mean you're actually a born-again, converted person. Being close to the things of God does not equal being saved by the grace of God. Jesus is pointing His finger directly at the Pharisees. Those who murmured that he sat with publicans and sinners as if they were more righteous, as if they were better. And he says, your heart is just like all of the others. It's far from God. You may not be in a far country physically, but your heart sure is. So we see something about this young man. He's pretty respectable on the outward. He's a leader as the firstborn son. He's a laborer. He works in his father's fields. But I also want you to note something else about him because we're going to look a little bit deeper than just that surface. And I want you to see his resentment. He had some respectability, but he was also resentful. Go back to verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. In verse 25, the Bible says, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto them, Thy brother, or unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. I want you to notice that first of all, he was resentful towards his brother. He had a rotten attitude toward his own brother. Instead of rejoicing that his brother was lost and now he's found and his brother has come home. Instead of rejoicing, he's got a rotten attitude instead. There wasn't any love for his brother. He didn't have any care or concern that his brother had been gone. The Bible says that when he heard all of this music and all of this dancing and this marrying that was being made over the fact that he returned, the Bible says he was angry that he was home. Actually, according to Jewish law, in the very first place, that brother should have mediated between his father and his son. When the younger son came and demanded his living and demanded his inheritance that it be divided, and I want you to give it to me now, actually, according to Jewish law, that son should have been the mediator between the father and the son to do some work to bring reconciliation. But he was silent. He was nowhere to be found. That sort of illustrates exactly the heart of those Pharisees in the fact that Jesus here was eating with publicans and sinners. He's eating with Gentiles. He received Gentiles. And he was intermingling with Gentiles. And the Jews thought that they were so much better and they were God's chosen people and they had the law and we please God and you are ugh, sinners. When in reality, when the gospel went to the Gentile people and Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, it should, have been the, it should have been the Jews who were telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. But they weren't. So Jesus is making a real clear point here to these Pharisees. You didn't even do your job. The job that you should have done. And here you are, looking at these people who are finding something for their soul, and instead of rejoicing, instead of being glad that their soul is being saved, here you are murmuring and complaining and grumbling that Jesus Christ is eating with sinners and publicans. Not only was he resentful towards his brother, but he was resentful towards his father. In verse 28, it says he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. You know what it tells us here? It tells us that he actually didn't have any love for his father at all. 
He was very disrespectful. The Bible says he wouldn't go in. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm not going there. It would have been his job, actually, as the oldest son. In that culture, if there was a big feast that was thrown and it was a special event, and we talked about the fatted calf last week, how the fatted calf represented the best of the best, and that was something that was saved for once-in-a-lifetime type of a situation, it would have been the older brother's job. As the oldest son, the next in line, who receives the inheritance, it would have been his job to be out front greeting guests, welcoming them into the home. Because he's in, he's in line to be the legal head and religious head of the family when the father is gone. He's the one who was responsible and he was nowhere to be found. He said to his dad, he said, I haven't transgressed your commandment at any time. Well, that's a lie. That's just like the Pharisees. Pharisees said, oh, we keep the law of God. They could never keep it perfectly. And the law actually says, if you can't keep the law perfectly, you've broken the whole law and you're condemned. Here he is doing the very thing that he claimed he had not done. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. Jesus said of the Pharisees, he was talking to other people, he said, you know what the Pharisees, they tell you to do all of these things. And they put these heavy burdens on you that are grievous to be borne. And they say, do this and do that, while they themselves don't actually keep it and don't do it. And here this son was doing the very thing that he claimed he had not done. And here he is arguing with his father. Instead of submitting himself to his father, he's bringing just as much shame to the father as the younger brother ever did. The truth was he had no interest in that which actually pleased the father. The father is rejoicing that the son is home. The father is rejoicing that that which was lost is found. And, it, and it's illustrating for us that in reality, he had no joy and no interest in the things that actually pleased his father. And the same is true with religious people. Oh, the same thing is true. We put on a good show and we do all our religious things. And why do we do that? We do that for appearances. We do that to, to keep up a good show or to make myself feel better. And in reality, I don't have an interest for the thing that pleases God. Because if I did, I'd be aligning myself with him and his truth. People want to go live their life. Oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But they do the same things that the world does. They're out there living in the world. They're, they got their music and they got all of their things and they got all this stuff. And they're living however they want. And they say, oh, I'm a Christian. And it shows that they actually don't have interest in their heart in the things that please God. No matter what you say. Why is that? Because... People's lives are not aligning with the things that actually please God. According to this book right here. Not with what I make up as to what I think is pleasing to God. Oh, God's good with me. I'll go to church and I'll do some things here and there and I'll be this good person. God's good with me. But there's no aligning with God's truth. Jesus says, if you love me, 
you're going to keep my commandments. That's going to be the proof of whether or not you actually love me. He was actually resentful towards his father. He didn't have any interest in the things that pleased the father, only his own interests. I want you to see his attitude. Note what he says in verse 29. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I may make merry with my friends. I want you to notice a couple of things. Notice what he says. He says, these many years do I serve thee. The word serve there is the Greek word doulos. Whenever that word is used, it's always referred to as a slave of some sort. And he says, all of these years, I've been in bondage to you. That's what he's saying. He wasn't serving his father out of a heart of love. He was actually serving out of a desire to help himself because he was next in line. Not only that, but he didn't think that he got what he deserved. He says in verse 29, All these years I've served you, and you didn't even give me a goat. You didn't even bring out the, the, a goat so that I could have a feast and make merry with my friends. Well, why did he say that? Because it's in contrast to verse 27, where verse 27 says, and he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. So what the brother is saying here is, <coughs> I've been faithful to you. I've been in bondage to you all of these years. I haven't broken your commandment, which wasn't true. But he's saying, I've done all of these things, and you didn't even recognize me with a goat. And here this brother of mine goes out and wastes his substance in riotous living. He's probably living with harlots and prostitutes. And, and, and you, he comes home and you, you bring out the fatted calf, the thing that's reserved for a once-in-a-lifetime celebration, and you're celebrating that. You understand his attitude? The symbolism there is really quite great. And we may not have the time to go into all of the Old Testament symbolism there, but the Pharisees would have understood what Jesus was saying, that that fatted calf, it represented the absolute very best, and it involved everyone in the town. The older brother pouted, and he said, you didn't even, you didn't even recognize all of my efforts with a measly goat let alone the fatted calf, but you gave the very best to this person who's so undeserving. When you listen to this boy talk to the father, you quickly realize some things about him. That in reality, he's proud. He's proud in his heart. He's disrespectful. He's arrogant. And he's angry. There's obviously something wrong with his attitude about this situation. He should have been overjoyed. His brother has returned from the far country. He's lost and he's been found. He should have been rejoicing. 
that the father was able to receive his lost son home again. But all he can do is complain. His real problem is in verse 30. He says, But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Look at what he says there. He, who told him that this boy had spent his money on harlots? Who told him that? He hasn't talked to the father. He's been out in the field. Hasn't talked to the brother. He didn't want to go in. He didn't even know he was home. He just assumed all that in his head. And why did he do that? Because in reality, he was jealous. He was jealous. He may be at home in body. I'm here, but he's actually in a far country in his heart. His heart was not right towards his father. He's as far away from the father as the other son was when he went away. All he really wants to do is actually just do what he wants to do and live it up just like his brother did. He won't go and do that because his pride won't let him do that. And so he gets mad that one who did the very things that he wants to do in his heart has been received by the Father. And he didn't get recognition for his faithfulness. So what's the, what's the meaning of all of that? Well, this is what was actually wrong with the Pharisees. They kept the letter of the law outwardly. They did all these religious things outwardly, but in their hearts, they lusted, they hated, they longed for sin that they couldn't just outwardly do. This was Jesus describing and speaking of the Pharisees, how they were angry and they murmured at Jesus for receiving sinners. And Jesus is showing them exactly who they are in their heart. They're religious hypocrites. That's what they are. Religious hypocrites who really had no love for God or the things that interest and please God. They only kept up appearances and tried to benefit themselves. And that is so like so many religious people today. Do you know that same attitude can be seen in a church? Some won't rejoice when sinners get saved. It means nothing to them. What? There's somebody who came from the world who heard the gospel, they responded to it, they confessed their sin, they're born again, their life has changed. What? Amazing that God would do that. And they sit there like, huh? Doesn't affect them. Doesn't mean anything to them. They can't get excited when God begins to grow a church. Maybe because they see their hold and their power is slipping away. They don't care about God's will being done in the church because they typically just have something else in mind and that's pretty much their own agenda. Live my life the way that I want. But I'm here in church. 
And maybe there's some. They do what they do because they want accolades. They want some pats on the back. They want to hear those compliments. They want to feel the glory. And their service in the church isn't really about God at all. It's about themselves. Some people go through the motions of serving the Lord, trying to maintain a name, to keep up an appearance. And it's no different than the religious hypocrites that Jesus was talking to in his day. When there's that kind of an attitude of the heart, what are you dealing with? You're either dealing with a lost person who's masquerading as a saved person, or you're dealing with somebody who's really out of the will of God. I want you to notice how, I'm almost done here by the way, but I want you to notice how this young man handled his anger. What did he do? Well, he attacked. He criticized. He blamed. He said, here's this brother who's wasted all thy living with harlots. He accused the father as well. This thy son has come, and you killed for him the fatted calf. It lets you know that his heart is not right. And why? We ask the question, why? The outward attitudes and actions of a person are actually a mirror into the heart. Do you know that? The outward actions and attitudes of a person are a mirror into the heart. Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh. They're manifest, which are these. And he talks about all kinds of fleshly activities, not just immoral things, but attitudes of the heart. In Galatians 5, I'll just read it to you quickly. In verse 19, he says, The works of the flesh are, are, are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those are all physical things. But then he says the attitudes of the heart come out. When there's idolatry and witchcraft and hatred, hatred is hostility and opposition, and there's variance. That word means quarreling. There's quarreling that goes on between others. Emulations, wrath, that's anger. Strife, that's factions and contentions. Then he says there's seditions. That's disunion and division because it's not my way. There's envyings, that's jealousy and spite. These are all attitudes of the heart. They're works of the flesh. And my point is the outward attitudes are actions and mirrors of the heart. So the question is, as we bring this to a close, what does your heart say about you? Jesus was highlighting the heart of the Pharisees in spite of all of their outward and religious actions. You know, when people attack others, that's all they basically do is attack others. They criticize, they place blame on everyone but themselves. That's what the Pharisees were doing. There's some real spiritual issues in the heart. When the father came out to entreat his son, 
he recognized that something was wrong. And he was being gracious. And he came out and he entreated him. And he gave him another chance. But you notice that the son refused the plea of the father. The father came out and said, come to the feast. The word entreat means to come alongside of another, to offer aid and offer comfort. It means to console. It means to comfort. It means to encourage. It shows the heart of this father even towards his son. It's the heart of God towards even the Jews and the Pharisees. Even in spite of all of their outward, the Lord comes alongside and he's entreating them, come, come. It's the same word that's translated as comforter in John chapter 16 that's used for the Holy Spirit of God. The Father loved him. The Father came outside to encourage him to come to the feast to celebrate the return of the lost. But he refused the Father's plea. And the meaning of that is that's exactly how God entreated the Jews. In Luke chapter 13, I'll just read this to you quickly. Luke 13 and verse 34 Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Even in spite of the fact that you killed the prophets that I sent to you, how much do I love you that I would gather you together still? But you wouldn't. Notice that this son... He won't even call him father in that moment. But the father was still calling him son. The father went to this boy to include him, to restore him, but he was rejected. And you know what? There's an application here as well, because there are times when the Lord speaks to us. Like maybe even today. If we're saved, the Lord's going to speak to us to encourage us to confront us with our sin. He's going to come alongside us to get us to come along in agreement with Him. If a person is not saved, the Lord is going to come and He's going to call a person to repent of their sin, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There are times when the Lord speaks to us. He might even be speaking today, and if He is, we should not refuse His voice, like this son did to his father. There's another thing that's interesting. I don't have the time right now to go into all of this, but do you notice how this story is open-ended? It doesn't have a conclusion to it. At the end, when we read this, the father came out, he entreated his son. In verse 31, he said unto his son, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It's referring to to the Jews as the, as the people of God. And he says, It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And it's over. It doesn't have a conclusion to it. It's open-ended. Did the older brother ever come into the feast? We don't know. Why did Jesus do that? Well, I don't know exactly why Jesus did that, but I can speculate that maybe Jesus left it this way for a reason. And here's that reason. Every single individual must write his or her own ending to the story of your life. Does that make sense? 
and how you respond to God as the Father. For Israel, the story ends badly. The Lord Jesus Christ presented Himself to them, to the nation as their long-awaited Messiah. He came to them in fulfillment of all the ancient prophecies in the Scriptures concerning the Chosen One. They knew that He claimed to be God. They even understood it in their heart, but they refused to receive Him as their Messiah, as the Lord, as the Savior. And it's going to come back. And they're going to feel it. And the Bible says at some point, the nation of Israel is going to recognize. Their eyes are going to look on on Him of whom they have pierced. And they're going to be full of sorrow. That's the nation of Israel. But how will this story end for you? Is really the question. You might be here today and you've got some religion to you. And maybe you're holding up all of these religious things before God. As somehow that's going to find you favor with God. But does Jesus know you? Do you have a personal relationship with Him that was entered into through repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ? A repentant heart like this younger son. I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against you and in your sight. If you're here today and you're lost... You need to come to Jesus Christ with a humble heart. Repenting of your sin, repenting of all the religious works that you've been holding on to, and yield to God. A person's not a Christian because they claim to be. How's the story going to end? If God is speaking to your heart today, you need to respond to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd work in hearts today, and I don't know the heart of any person I cannot stand up here and be the judge of any man. And I don't pretend to. My heart is wicked and deceitful too. But there was a day in my life when I saw what I really was and yielded to God with a repentant heart asking for forgiveness, yielding my will and my life to the Lord. And I've never been the same since. And it's only by the grace of God that you saved my soul. So Lord, I don't pretend to judge anybody because I cannot see in a person's heart, but you see. We can't even hardly judge ourselves because our heart is so wicked and deceitful. We lie to ourselves and we convince ourselves that we're okay. We're okay. And yet there might be this voice on the inside, this uncomfort or discomfort in the heart and in the soul that's just angst. It's telling us something's wrong. That may be the very Holy Spirit of God trying to draw a sinner to a place of repentance. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word because you know the hearts of all men. And Lord, may you have freedom to deal with each individual soul. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.